All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I got to chat with Sam Coonert. And Sam is an amazing guy. Like hearing his story and everything that he's gone through is awesome. You guys are going to have a lot of takeaways from this episode. I just know it. And Sam was born without a hand on his on his left arm. And that he didn't let that stop him at any level. He played sports. He played sports against people without that type of challenge. And now he's taking everything that he learned growing up, having to deal with that and putting it into Nubability, which is an organization that helps kids with limb differences or amputated limbs to continue to play at everybody else's level. And that's crazy. Like a lot of people get in the mindset of when things get difficult, you know, maybe you just quit. You don't, you don't try harder, but Sam is not one of those people. He doesn't want anything to come easy. He doesn't like handouts. He wants to work hard and he believes that you learn through your failures and through struggles. And I mean, he's proven that out in his life. And so this was an awesome talk. As you can tell, I'm pretty fired up already. And I think you guys will be too after hearing this. I'm excited to connect with him in the future and go out and get in on a hunt or do some fishing, or maybe I'll recruit him for like my baseball team or my softball team. That would, that's a pretty good idea right there, but he's only a couple hours away. And so I'm hoping to make that happen here shortly. Anyways, we're going to dive into this and buckle up because it's a good one. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me is Sam Coonert. And Sam reached out on social media, told me a little bit about his story in an email that he sent. And then I was like, man, this would be a good guy to have on the show. Um, college baseball player, avid outdoorsman. And I I can't wait to really get into this conversation. So, Sam, thanks for being here. Hey, thank you for having me, Dan. I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you just start off by kind of introducing yourself, tell tell listeners a little bit about you and uh, maybe some hunting and sports history? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I was born in Southern Illinois, uh, very bottom of the state. So we're closer to Paducah, Kentucky and uh, Tennessee than we are to Chicago, you know, so let's just get that out there right now. We do not <laughs> claim Chicago. <laughs> Um, but I was born and raised without my left hand. Um, and when I was born, you know, everybody wondered how I would ever be able to do anything. You know, they were like, how's he going to be able to play sports? How's he going to be able to get to do, um, everything that all the other kids are doing? And that was a real fear for my, for my dad, especially who was an avid outdoorsman. And he was also, um, in his own right, a really, really good, uh, baseball player in high school played all sports but baseball was his thing and so when I was born his immediate thought was how am I going to teach my son to do any of this you know he's yeah. got one hand like I've I do all of this and I do do it with two so how am I going to teach him um, and it was a real worry for my dad and um, my mom kind of you know they were both in a new place this was before technology would show you that your son was going to be born this way and so yeah. Um, it was a complete surprise to all of them, but my mom really, um, lapsed on to, you know, that I was fearfully and wonderfully made and that I was created perfectly in God's image that God had a plan for me. And, um, and that was actually, uh, capped off by a local pastor coming to, uh, 
to my hospital room and talking to my mom and, and my Nana and my Papa and my dad and uh, saying, I have to tell you something. God had a vision last night in my dream. He put a vision in my dream and it was of Sam and this is not going to hinder him. God is going to use this difference to go and empower people all over the world and all over the country. And, you know, of course, my dad and my mom, you know, they're small town people. So they're like, okay, you know, yeah, this, this is awesome that this pastor's having this prophecy, but we live in a three stoplight town in Southern Illinois. But as I grew up, you know, every year I would hear people tell me, you know, I'd never be good enough to play at the next level, whether that was uh, coach's pitch on into kids pitch into middle school. I was cut my sixth, seventh and eighth grade year, despite having uh, amazing tryouts, playing really well against the kids over the summer, even beating a lot of the kids who made the team. Yeah. And I didn't know why, except for that, that coach didn't have faith in me because of my difference. And so people wanted to put that difference as a limitation, but my family never let me use it as a limitation, never let me use it as an excuse. You know, I figured out how to shoot to how to hold a gun. So yeah. I would hold my gun up and balance it right here off, off the nub and just, you know, just um, learned that at an early age to the point where my dad would take me squirrel hunting. And that was honestly the first type of hunting that I did was squirrel hunting. Um, which for me was some of the, some of the funnest times because, you know, you never know what you're going to get when you pick up a squirrel. You don't know. <laughs> you, know so, so, you don't know so, how much life is going to be left in that thing. <laughs> exactly. And, and let me tell you, squirrels aren't as friendly as they look on these videos. <laughs> no, they're not. People post to TikTok. Um, but man, that, that was, that was some really good times. I remember just waking up at, uh, at about four o'clock and, having a quick breakfast with dad drinking coffee out of a sock i don't know if you're an outdoorsman you had to done that at least once when you run out of coffee filters this is this is a life hack for all you guys watching cowboy coffee man yeah cowboy coffee put in the tube sock tie the end boil water and there's your coffee it tastes awful uh <laughs> But, but it was part of the, it was part of the hunting experience. You know, even at like four or five years old, my dad's giving me coffee, which tastes terrible, but you drink it because yep. it's part of the experience. And so <laughs> we go and do that um, growing up, but uh, I really fell in love with sports. You know, that was, that was my thing. I, I wanted to play baseball at the, in college. That was my, um, was a dream of mine. And every year hearing people tell me that I'd never be able to play just, fueled me you know it, it didn't really it didn't really kill my momentum instead it just made me want to prove people wrong and you know that's something I feel like everybody can take in life instead of letting um letting things become obstacles or walls let them become steps steps yeah. to success you know every, every you need to look at every trial and tribulation that's thrown at you as a chance to grow and as a chance to rise above the situation Absolutely. and so for me it was it was I saw it as that opportunity and so even though I was cut from the teams, I didn't stop working. So I'd go uh, home after school, have a quick bite. And then my mom would take me to go work out with the local college baseball coach. After the first session, he said, why are they cutting you? And that's when that confidence was kind of instilled in me. Okay. I'm on the right path. I need to figure yeah. out how to do this. And so um, going on into my freshman year, have another great tryout, made a, uh, the local Legion team over the summer had 
had a really good time pitching because, you know, of course the one handed kid wants to pitch. That's the one <laughs> position that <laughs> the one position that you need both hands for in a safe <laughs> manner. Um, I wanted to do. And a lot of that became, uh, because of uh, my childhood when my dad would sit me on my lap and I'd watch the one-handed pitcher known as Jim Abbott who played for the New York Yankees. Yeah. And I watched yeah. him throw a no hitter and it kind of gave me that confidence. Okay. I can go and play. And as I get to this tryout my freshman year and I strike out everybody, you know, I'm thinking, all right, this is my chance to not only make this team, but I feel like coach has got to start me. And so I get, I make the team. I look on the list. I see my name for the first time ever. I, it's on that list. And I was pumped, you know, I'm That's thinking, awesome. right, here's my opportunity to shine. Right. Um, we played probably 30 games freshman year and I pitched in three. And in that first game, I'll never forget it. It's a, it's a day that will stick with me forever just because of the power in the situation. You know, I had been working for this opportunity and finally it comes. We're playing against a team called Nashville Hornets. They're the, they're the corn fed farm boys that, you know, hop out the bus, just got out of the, just got off the field, just got out of the tractor, uh, hop off the bus with a dip in their lip and look like they can hit the ball country mile. You know, the boys that nobody wants to face. Right. And they had beat the tar out of us the, the past two years like I think the year before I made the team, they beat the team by 15 runs. Um, Just absolutely, you know, can smash a baseball. And so we're getting ready, you know, doing our stretches and coach comes up to tell us who's starting. He goes, Cooner, you're starting today. So, all right, let's, let's go. You know, I'm I'm pumped about this. (laughs) I go out and I start warming up and I overhear the coach talking to the other assistant coach as I'm warming up and I hear him say, well, we might as well start Cooner. We're going to lose anyway. And immediately, you know, it was that, it was that time where someone tells you what you can do or tries to put a limit or perception on what you're capable of. And, you know, the only person who can truly decide what that is, is you and God. And I was like, yep. well, I know that I've been working for this. You know, I know that I'm prepared for this. So rather than having a fear of the batter stepping in the box, I kind of had a little bit of a cockiness and swagger. Like, I can't believe this person stepping into the box to face me. <laughs> you know, kind of deal. Yeah. And, and in the in the first inning, my, uh, my team gave me one run. Um, and then that was it. That was all I got to work with for the entire game was one run in the first inning. And I ended up shutting down that team for the first time in school history. We shut them out. Oh and, man, that's awesome. You know, so I beat them and I was thinking, <laughs> all right, I, sh- I showed coach, right? Here's it. We played two other teams that year that had done the same, you know, had beaten us previous years and beaten us like a drum. And I beat both of them. Same, same scenario, Dang. one to nothing. We had one run to work with my entire freshman year coming into my sophomore year was some of the similar situation, you know, just put them against the teams that were guaranteed to get beat by and I beat them. And it was, it was amazing opportunities, you know, to play against these teams, but that was it. I just got those teams, you know, whereas every other pitcher was throwing five, six, seven, eight, nine games. I was throwing two or three. Yeah. And it, it really stuck with me, but it made me want to work even harder. It made it made me want to really show that I could do it. And so coming into my junior year, I'm throwing the ball really well. I'm throwing the ball probably, you know, 83, 84 miles per hour. You know, nothing super hard for a junior in high school. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty quick. <laughs> it's just so decent, you know. And uh, 
I'm like, man, I'm starting to throw the ball hard. I think I can actually make my dream of playing college baseball possible, you know, maybe not division one, but I think I can probably play for a D2 or a D3. And so I started going up to my pitching coach and I was like, you know, I knew I wasn't there yet. I knew I had stuff that I had to work on. And so I was like, coach, what do I have to do to play college baseball? And he looked at me and he said, well, Sammy, you throw the ball pretty hard but there's not very many one-handed baseball players in college baseball. And I think you should just focus on your school because I think this is your last four years. And immediately, you know, at first I was frustrated, you know, as, as anybody could be, but that mentality of, okay, you're placing perceptions on me. The only person to determine that is me and God. So I'm just going to go on and prove you wrong. You know, immediately he made that list of people that I wanted to prove wrong. So when I signed my college letter of intent on uh, my senior year, you had to pick people to go into your picture, right? You had to pick which coaches (laughs) were there. And so I had my, my head coach who had had believed in me that senior season and given me opportunity after opportunity. Uh, I had my guidance counselor help me get through many instances of bullying growing up. And then I had my parents and then I had to have that coach in there. I had to have him in there so that he, you know, he forever knew that the kid who he doubted proved him wrong. Yeah. And so that, that was a, that was a great opportunity for me, but, you know, throughout my growth, the one thing that I would uh, attribute my spirit and just calmness to would be the outdoors. Um, since I, since I was a, a little kid, my dad had me outside. I wasn't playing video games. We were outside. I was either helping him on the farm. You know, he was a, he was a crop farmer, uh, third or fourth generation crop farmer um, here in Southern Illinois. So soy, uh, soybeans, corn, um, the, the occasional wheat, but we didn't really mess with wheat that much. Uh, but there was always jobs that you had to do, you know, you always had to work for him. And, you know, my dad really protected me growing up from the farm. He tried to keep me away from the machines that could potentially take my right hand as well. <laughs> um, but he gave me opportunities to not only learn farming, but learn hunting through farming, learn what animals, you know, enjoyed, learn how to uh, really disguise yourself in the woods to the point where, you know, I hunted in deer stands mostly, but as I, as I got older, I started hunting on the ground. If you've ever hunted on the ground, you realize how much more challenging that is than in a deer stand. And especially for movement. For me, I'm a a guy who has ADHD, so I like to move. And uh, it it gave me opportunities to really calm myself, which I really found actually transferred into sport to find those opportunities when, you know, things weren't going right to calm yourself and just kind of picture yourself back in the woods. That's awesome, man. That's so sweet. And I love to hear the stories of people not being discouraged by, you know, limitations other people put on them, but just to take it and be like, Hey, I'm going to prove you wrong. Everybody loves a good underdog story and you've got a pretty good one, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's good, man. And, And I'll tell you, you know, that the underdog, mentality is something everybody can benefit from you know there's too much entitlement in today's world there's too much people who think you know they've actually that they've they've earned it without working for it and oh, yeah. uh, you know the underdog when you're placed as the underdog you have to outwork everybody 
you you have to find a way to uh, not just outskill, but you have to outwork and you have to find a way for people to see that work translate onto whatever field you're you're putting it forth to. Yep. So so you made the college team. And then from that point, I mean, now you're running a nonprofit. Uh, could you could you share kind of how you got into that or what what spurred you towards that? Yeah, so with me in the one-handed pitcher in, in Southern Illinois, um, and only thinking that it was myself and Jim Abbott, and then I actually had a freshman football coach who had the same difference as me, um, I thought we were the only ones on the planet. You know, I didn't know of anything else. I had dial-up internet, so I wasn't Googling everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what that led to was new stories, and those new stories were more powerful um, than I than I thought they would be. One of them taking place, actually, I posted on TikTok that was like old, old, and I was like, oh, throwback, ends up with like 300,000 views in <laughs> two days, and I'm like, well, where was that in 2011? But um, but anyway, so uh, I had a story go uh not viral, but it got to other states. And uh, this one organization called Camp No Limits reached out to me in 2010. And they're like, hey, we just saw this story on you. We think you would be amazing to come and work with our kids and teach them to play sports. We're a camp where we teach uh, children born with limb differences and amputees to do everyday life skills um, that a lot of people wouldn't you know, find easier you know than these kids are going to find um but we've really wanted to or incorporate sports into the programming and we feel like you're the person to do that and you like i said i thought it was just myself and my and uh the two other amputees that i knew of and that was it and so to hear this opportunity to work with kids like me you know light bulb was on yeah absolutely you know there was no no saying no at this point and so i was 17 at that point And my mom takes me up to this camp. It's in Chesterfield, Missouri, which is about an hour and a half from there, which is kind of funny because my wife's actually from Chesterfield, Missouri. So there's like two, two big things that came out of Chesterfield, Missouri in this, in this story. Um, But as I get to Chesterfield, I get there to this camp and they're wrapped around a fire pit and they're talking and telling, you know, telling who they are and what sports they play. And I'm sitting here, I'm looking at these kids. Most of them are missing maybe a upper limb, but none of them, are, I think one or two were had lower prosthetics, but everybody else was just missing a, a few um, fingers or, or a hand, maybe even arm at the elbow. And I'm sitting there in this, in this wrapped around this pit and they're like, hi, I'm Timmy. I play soccer. Hi, I'm Jimmy. I play soccer. Hi, I'm Billy. I play soccer. And I'm listening to this and I'm like, well, one, I'm from Ducoin, Illinois, which is a football town. So immediately I'm thinking soccer, you know, who wants to play that? <laughs> but, but I've since, you know, grown to really respect the sport of soccer. And, and uh, I'm listening to these kids, though, and I'm like, what kind of challenge is soccer? Unless you're playing goalie, yeah. I don't understand how soccer is really that challenging for you because you have both your feet. And what really bothered me was then I thought, they only said one sport. Like how many kids at this age are only playing one sport? That's that's ridiculous. You know, they yeah. need to be exposed to as many sports as possible and subjected to all these sports so they can figure out one, how to grow through sport, how to grow through adversity, which sports are going to produce the most adversity and the most obstacles are honestly going to benefit you the most. Yeah. And so I got to talking to a mom and I'm like, your child looks super athletic. Why are they only being, exposed to one sport 
And she said, well, we just feel like if we give them the opportunity to play other sports that they're going to fail. And we feel like here in soccer, they have the opportunity to succeed right off the bat and, and uh, experience the least amount of failures. And I'm like, wait, what? Like you're saying you don't want your kids to fail. And they're like, yeah, no, we don't want our kids to fail. And I'm like, but failure is a part of life. You know, you have to fail in order to learn how to succeed. You have, you have to lose in order to learn how to win. You know, you need to look at these failures as opportunities to grow. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to get my sports mind into this mom, but you know, it's one of those moms that kind of shuts everything off right off the bat. And so I knew it's time to bring in the big guns. So I was like, okay, uh, mama, I need you to get all of these parents out of my hair for two hours. Just, she's like, well, what do you want me to do? I was like, I don't know. You figure it out. Just get the parents away and let me work for these kids. So she does. She does an impromptu raising a limb different athlete <laughs> little forum with the parents. And while she's doing that, I worked on the kids um, how to throw and catch a baseball, how to do a glove transfer. So where they throw the ball and get their hand back in the gloves quick enough to be able to make a play and how to how to th- how to hit a baseball, how to throw and catch a football, how to dribble and shoot a basketball and how to swing a golf club, which honestly, I don't swing a golf club very good. You know, it goes far, just doesn't go far straight. Um, <laughs> but uh, got to talking with these kids and just they were all wanted this opportunity. They all wanted the opportunity to play these sports, but they were being held back out of fear of failure. And it wasn't sitting well with me. And so oh. we went back to our cabins. My mom stayed at a hotel. Um, I stayed in this cabin that had no air conditioning. It was probably 115 degrees <laughs> inside there. It was like a sweat box sauna. And I remember sitting on this bed and just constantly hearing this voice. And I know the people, you know, they talk about hearing God and a lot of people say, no, you can't, you can't really hear God. You know, he doesn't talk out loud. Um, but I hear it audibly. I hear it in my, in my head and it keeps repeating the same thing. You can change this. You can change this. And I started thinking, what can I do? I'm a 17 year old C's get degrees, uh, kid in high school. You know, my plan is what party am I going to next week? You know, how, (laughs) what, how am I going to get to this college baseball? You know, I don't have time to do anything to change this, but I keep hearing this voice. You can change this all night long to the point where I can't sleep. Damn. And I have a baseball game the next day that we have to drive an hour and a half for. So I'm like, what is going on? Finally, after about, I'd say 30 minutes of sleep, my mom comes and wakes me up, gets me out in the car and we're driving back home. And I asked my mom, I said, why are, why are parents holding their kids back? She said, well, parents don't like to see their kids fail. I was like, but mom, they have to. And she's like, you're right. They do. She's like, but some parents aren't like your parents. They don't push you. They don't push their kids to get into everything and, and to try everything. You know, my dad literally picked me up and threw me in the deep end, said, drown or swim. Yep. Your choice. Here's the ladder. There's the stairs. And I swam. You know, I swam just fine because I had one idea. You know, of course, he was going to jump in if I was struggling, you know, yep. but just that that thought that my dad had the faith in me to swim. He threw me out there and to see the other kids weren't getting that, it really bothered me. And all of a sudden this vision pops in my head of a camp where these kids come, it's a sports camp and they learn sports from coaches who look like them. So limb different athletes to coach them. So it gives them a mentor who looks like them, who's been where they've been and also has the knowledge of what they've learned 
in their experience to now provide these kids with steps above where they were. And I brought that vision to my mom and I'm pretty sure her jaw dropped. She's like, where did that come from? It's like, I really don't know, but it sounds like a really good idea. And she's like, it's a Sam. That is an amazing idea. She's like, I would have driven across the country on a $10 bill to get you to a you. And that's when it, you know, that's when it hit us. And so we start, you know, start coming up with a name for, for the nonprofit. We start um, looking at, you know, what brings power over pity to these kids. You know, we don't want people to pity, pity them. We don't want people to feel sorry for them. We want them to feel powerful in the name. And so growing up, I always called my left, my left limb, my nub, you know, it was always my nub. And everybody would always say that I had a disability growing up and it, it would piss me off. That was the worst thing you could possibly tell me was that I had a disability. Cause if you look up the term disability in the dictionary, it's like lame limp, unable to do for yourself, unable to think for yourself, which did not define me. It did not define any of the kids that we serve. And so I was like, well, what's the opposite of disability ability. So I was like, okay, nub ability, start the t-shirts. Let's go. That's, that's, that's the name. And then I had to find coaches. So I start Googling and start looking up, okay, who has college experience and is limb different out there right now in mainstream sports so that we get these kids out there competing against everybody else, but they get the opportunity to learn for the very first time from coaches like them. I found a softball player named Hayden Filson out of Metamora, Illinois. It's like, well, what? what's the chance that it's actually in Illinois? That's, that's, that's amazing. Here we got, we've got one. Then I reached out to a university of um, New York, Albany football player at the time, which is a D one. I think they're in the F uh, CS. So the championship series rather than the bowl series. And he's a defensive end and his name's Eddie Delaney. Boom. We've got a football coach. Now we've got a softball coach. I can coach baseball. So now we've got three sports well, let's see what other sports we can do. And so I started look, just looking and looking and finding all these coaches to the point where I ended up with seven coaches coming to our first camp. I played uh, college baseball at Greenville College, which is now Greenville University in Illinois. And I went to my college and said, I would really like to hold a camp. And they said, well, we're happy to hold it here. And so we ended up with a camp there that year with seven coaches and 19 of them kids coming from all over. And I thought, man, this is an amazing opportunity, especially through what had happened in the fall of 2011 to my health. And so it was really amazing just to be there, but then to see so many people latch onto this vision of nobility, I was like, well, this is definitely what I'm supposed to do with my life. This is definitely what God has, has put me on earth to do. Little did I know that, you know, tell God your plans and you want to hear him laugh and I had planned on one camp, you know, that, that was kind of the Sam vision of nobility. God's vision was much bigger. Yeah, man, that is so cool. So you start hosting these camps, uh, the college hosts or at the college. And then it sounds like from there, it just kind of took off. Like you said, God's vision of it was totally different than yours. And his always wins, you know, no matter what we do to ruin it. It always. always wins. So, so what happened from there? I mean, now you're in multiple states, right? Yeah. So now we've held we've held camps and clinics in um, ten different states. 
Uh, we're looking at joining, uh, getting 11 and 12 this year, uh, and then potentially uh, adding more in the coming year. We're going to do a fishing clinic in Myrtle Beach, uh, North Carolina. I want to say South Carolina, North Carolina. Um, and then we're also doing a basketball clinic in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And so um, we are working through over 20 different sports now instead of seven. Um, we have served probably over 700 kids um, with limited differences but what's crazy and this this is this is uh where it just blows my mind to me since we have since the inception of no ability we have served kids from 49 states and 11 countries jeez and the majority of those kids served actually came to my hometown of duke point we moved we took the camp from uh my college town, which was about the same, you know, it's probably, I think, eight, 9,000, if you didn't include the, the college people um, living in that town. And in my hometown, they say we have 6,500 people. I've never seen that many people in my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> I think we count our cats and dogs in the population yeah. personally. But uh, to see people willing to travel an hour and a half for this camp to the point where uh, that summer camp that I was telling you about has grown to uh, where in 2019 before COVID, we had 189 limb different kids from 48 countries and five or 48 states and five uh, countries come to Ducoin, Illinois oh my uh, goodness. For, for that camp. I mean, that, that to me was just mind blowing that not only did we attract people from other states to come here to small town USA, but we attracted other countries with what we were offering. Uh, yeah. My coaching staff has grown to over a hundred people in my coaching pool. Um, we have, uh, I think this year at our camp because of COVID numbers and just like where we were kind of budget cutting and trying to figure out how to make the camp happen without taking away the quality. We still had after, after a year of lockdowns, we had 120 uh, kids come to our camp this year to be coached by 60 accomplished and different athletes as their coaches. And so it, it has grown exponentially, man. We're uh, before COVID we had project, we were projected at um, 200 after that camp, we were projected to grow to over 200 to 220 kids, um, which would have been amazing and probably would have been probably the last straw for our high school size to be able to host us. And then, yeah. Um, so who, know, who knows what God has planned next, but uh, we look for every opportunity we can. And that's why, you know, when this lockdown happened, what I was telling you earlier is we looked to the outdoors to try and space it out because we're hitting all the sports. Yeah. But there's kids still sitting on their couch playing games or something because they don't know that there's more to life. And we want to be able to show them those opportunities that the outdoors can can offer because you can learn a lot from the outdoors. Yeah. The outdoors can teach you resilience. It can teach you patience. And like I told you earlier, it can teach you calm, which is okay. something that someone with ADHD needs is <laughs> calm. Well, and what a perfect time for that too, because kids who are used to being out playing sports, hanging out with their friends, and then all of a sudden, you know, 2020 happens and everything shuts down. You know, they're not able exactly. to go to their friend's house. They're not able to go to school. They're not able to play sports what's the one thing still open the outdoors, Ex you know, exactly, exactly. And that's, and that's something, you know, when COVID first happened, which was, I think it was 2020, we had our all sport camp scheduled. We had everything ready to go and then state shuts down and we're unable to hold that camp. 
And for me, it, it wasn't a failure, but it felt like a failure. It felt yeah. like a huge failure that we were unable to pull this off, that we didn't find a way to come up with how to hold this camp during this pandemic. And I started seeing deterioration of what we have done for kids growing up. You know, most of our kids, we probably kept uh, 85 to 90 percent attendance rate from that first year all the way through and work with kids age four to 17. So to be able to keep that attendance rate was you know, impressive. But when we had to cancel that camp, I sat down with my business director. I was like, look we have to find a way to pull these off in this pandemic. I don't know how we do it, but we have to find a way to pull these off for these kids. And so we come up with this 14 page COVID mitigation plan. And then we also came up with, okay, where are they saying it is safe outside? Yeah. So we're going to hold all of our camps and clinics in 2020 outside. And we did every sport, whether it was, um, a mainstream sport or an outdoor sport. It was held outside and we were able to hold um, our very first fishing clinic and it was a success. Everybody caught fish. We did it out in Clearwater, Florida. Now this year they're dealing with red tide, which, you know, that's terrible. So, oh, yeah. we're, so we're moving that for this year to, to this new uh, location in Myrtle beach. Uh, and then we're hoping to add more outdoor opportunities. Like I said earlier with a deer hunt, a turkey hunt, a waterfowl hunt, um, potentially an Arkansas hog hunt. We're working on that, those details and then hoping to just watch it grow and watch these kids just um, become infatuated with the outdoors because it is infatuating. Yeah, man, that is so cool. I, I tell people all the time, like no matter how many walls people have up, no matter how shut down they are to other people, there's a few things that get them to open up. And in my mind, those are sports and the outdoors. And so the fact that you're doing that and you're, you're teaching, I mean, you're teaching people who may like you have been told they can't do something their whole life. And now you're empowering them and showing them it's totally possible through one, your testimony and the testimony of these other hundred athletes that have done the same thing. And, and then, yeah, to incorporate the outdoors into it, that side of it, I'm like, man, if you if you go outside, if you're a hunter or a fisherman and you don't you don't believe in God, like exactly. you must be blindfolded while you're out there. You know what I mean? Like exactly. the outdoors is it just screams creation. And like I there's nothing like it. I love getting people out. I try to take new people out every year and I try to set a goal of like 20 new people. And it may not be people who have never hunted before, but I, I just want to connect with new people through hunting. And so I try to get out and do that. All right, guys, if you enjoy this show and you want to know how to make your own, I'm going to tell you about something called Anchor. It's an app that I've been using ever since I started, and it's completely free. Like I said, I've used it from the get-go, and I haven't had to pay a single penny to distribute my podcasts through this app. They've got creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone, tablet, computer, so you don't have to get a bunch of fancy equipment in order to get started. Now you can also add songs directly from Spotify into your episodes. So, I mean, you can create whatever you want, something that nobody's ever heard before, and it's so easy. Just click and drag. Anchor is also going to help you distribute your podcast, and so you don't have to upload it to all of these different platforms. Anchor can be that central hub that your podcast goes out to all of the other platforms through, and you can make money without any minimum listenership. 
So, I mean, you heard that right. You can actually start making money right away, no matter how many listeners you have. So what I'm getting at is it's basically everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go and download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Uh, Do you have stuff there in your home state that you're going to be able to uh, do outdoor activities or like locations, I guess, in your home state? Yeah, so... So back in 2014, when I started Novability Outdoors, we started it off as just uh, at our camp. So the way our camps ran is ran like a, a college style camp. So every kid chooses their focus sport and then they have open sports sessions throughout the camp. And they'll run uh, from around 9 a.m. in the morning till about 7, 8 o'clock at night. And there's okay. constant sessions of rotating through your sport. Your focus sport is the one you you want to learn the most from. It's the one that you're really struggling with, or you, you really just want to focus on. And so they get, uh, I think it's about six to eight hours of one-on-one practice time with our coaches and learning drills and sessions and different things to, to get better at. The Thursday of our camp is known as our outdoors day. At our outdoors day, uh, kids are exposed to fishing, archery, um, golf, uh, water skiing and wakeboarding and um, swimming and tennis. And with our archery, we have watched as archery and fishing has drawn more and more and more kids each year to the point where, okay, we need to find ways to, to grow this. And so we actually went in 2014 and held our very first uh, standalone outdoors clinic, which was a, three gun clinic in Covington, Georgia. Um, if you ever get a chance, look up Hunter Kale, the no handed shooter. Okay. It will blow your mind. So he was our head shooting coach at that time. And he has no hand on his left. And I think he has just a trigger finger on his right. And he was number one in the nation at one time for three gun against <laughs> everybody else. And it was his, his shooting is it's amazing. So he got us this opportunity to come down where he was in Covington and hold this camp. And we saw kids flock. And what was really cool about the kids that flocked towards this outdoor sport was probably half of them had experience before that the rest were wanting to come for this opportunity to learn from a limb different person, how to do it. Yeah. And so seeing that made me realize, okay, we need to try and figure out ways to offer up different, hunts and stuff throughout the years and so um growing from there we offered one hunt a year we had a waterfowl and a deer hunt a waterfowl and a deer hunt um as with hunting you know you don't all you don't always harvest an animal and so uh we were fortunate that our kids actually harvested a deer and a duck each time that we had these hunts and so uh now as we are experiencing more and more growth I would like to get it where we're holding a sports camp and an outdoors clinic every month. If I could do that, where I could get that many opportunities, think of how many kids that serve, even if it's oh, only yeah. you know 20 kids um, in the sports and maybe five to 10 in the outdoors, that's still a lot of kids when it's all said and done, you know, that's yeah. over a hundred, over a hundred in the outdoors and, I'm not very good at math, but over 200 in, <laughs> in the, uh, in the sports world, which would grow our reach, which would allow us to serve more kids because 
you know, for me, it's all about fulfilling a promise. I made, I made a promise to God uh, in 2011 when he gave me a second chance of life. You know, I was told um, when I was in college after my, finishing my fall season, uh, I got really sick. Um, I spent two weeks in the hospital. And in those two weeks, I lost 40 pounds. I had my organs were starting to fail. I was jaundiced the color of, of mustard. I wasn't, as a person, I wasn't living best life um, that I should be. You know, I'd become very egotistical. I had become more about kind of, it was me who did everything. Um, you know, I wasn't really caring about the compassion or anything of others. I was looking out for me. Uh, and when I got sick, you know, it, may, it allowed me to evaluate my life at a, at a bigger role because now I have doctors telling me that I'll be dead in a few weeks to a few months. Um, and so when you look at your life and you don't see a you know, you don't see a proud person there. You don't see um, yourself actually getting into heaven, which is something that as a kid you were raised, you know, you, you want to go there. That's where you want to be. And to sit there and look and say, well, you get in heaven right now and say, well, I don't know. It really makes you evaluate that life. And so at that time I started messaging everybody who I'd ever done wrong to and, and asking for forgiveness. And then I realized that there was an opportunity there for me to talk to God. Uh, and I hadn't done that in a while, despite going to a Christian college, I hadn't done that. And so I sat there and I said, God, thank you for this life you've given me, uh, for every opportunity that you've shown uh, for the family that you've given me to raise me. Uh, I know I've failed you. I know I haven't been living the life that I want to. Uh, and I understand that. And I ask for your forgiveness. Um, and if it's my time to go, I want to go with you. But if you give me a second chance, I promise to live this life to serve others and to serve you. And so the next day I wake up and my test results are terrible. Uh, everything's failing. And that night, there was what's called corporate prayer, um, which is where multiple churches come together uh, and pray at the exact same time for the exact same reason. And it was really humbling because my college actually brought forth all the students together in a student prayer chain and they all prayed. And that night, what was crazy was people came back to God who hadn't known him through this, through what was happening. And you know, at that point, nubability was just an idea. It wasn't a full camp. And so as all these people came to pray, then they expanded into their churches and then their churches expanded to other churches and other churches to the point where I was on the prayer chain in nearly every state in the United States and outside the country where people were praying for me, which was incredibly humbling. And then the next day I wake up And after two weeks of not be able to hold myself up, pick myself up to go to the bathroom or anything and running 105 to 106 degree fevers with hallucinations to be able to wake up and feel normal. I mean, I felt normal. Um, My jaundice skin was pink. I had no temperature. I was able to stand up and use the restroom. I was able to hold full conversations knowing what I talked about. I was everything was normal in my eyes. And so then the doctor comes in, he's like, what's happened. Yeah. And and so they start, you know, just poking and prodding me like I'm Texas barbecue trying to figure out, you know, how did he get better? And the doctor comes back in and sits down probably around three 30. He's like, we got to send you home. 
I was like, what? He's like, yeah, we got to send you home. He's like, you know, I'm not much of a believer. He said, but this is a miracle. He's like, we don't know what has changed. We don't know how your diagnosis has changed, how you're getting better other than this is a miracle. And I remember making that promise to God and I immediately knew, okay, you know, my dad always told me growing up, when you give somebody your word, you keep it. And so that's what I'm doing. I mean, I feel like, uh, he, you know, that, that vision of inevitability was what he wanted. And so that's when I moved forward with the first camp in 2012. And then from there on, now it's God's vision. And now it's just going where we go. Yep. Man, that is so cool. What a cool testimony to share and just a cool story. And I'm excited to see where it takes you. I mean, God's obviously got big plans for you and just the way that you, your heart to serve other people and impact them. Um, And we'll have to, we'll have to connect off air. And I may have a couple of connections for you to reach out to people in Colorado, here in Missouri. I've worked at a couple of different camps that are either sports or outdoor camps. Um, one of them, one of them was both, but, uh, maybe there's some cool crossover where you can make some, make some connections, those places. Is there anybody else in the country, any other camps that you know of in the country that are doing anything like this? No. So that's, what's crazy about Novability. Whenever we did it the first time, um, and we looked up, you know, kind of different camps to say, you know, are we going to be competing with anybody? Nobody else is doing it to this day. You know, there's people who focus on Paralympics and and other um, like track and field sports and, and uh, you know, other sports that are kind of more generated towards only competing against slim different people. Yeah. But what we do is get them to compete against everybody else. Yeah. You know, we're giving them the life because they're going to compete against everybody else in every aspect of their life, whether it's for getting a job or or in sport, you know, that's not going to be just slim different people. And so looking it up even today, we're the only we're the only one in the world, not the country, the world. And dang, so dang. we are. Uh, and what's really cool is in the last year, and I feel like this was truly God. Uh, I've had other countries reaching out, you know, wanting to shadow, wanting to learn what, how we've done things and how they can do it. And I'm like, this is what this is what it was for. You know, this is the opportunity to not only grow um, our reach, but to grow the mission and grow the vision to serve more kids. That's that's what it's about for us. You know, um, a lot of people think, you know, nonprofit, that's where you're just supposed to make a bunch of money and then, you know, <laughs> generate it out there. And it's like, no nonprofit, if you're doing it correctly, it's providing the most experiences for however much money you have, and then finding yep. ways to rebuild that funding every year. Yeah. Um, and so for us, it's just how many, how many opportunities can we have for these kids? How, you know, our goal is to get international. Our goal is to go into countries. Like uh, I had the opportunity my freshman year to actually pitch in the Dominican Republic. And I'll never forget that to this day, because I remember um, it's a religion down there. I mean, baseball is a religion down there. It's one of the coolest things. If you ever get the opportunity, you got to go to the professional Dominican game. Um, It is a cultural experience like no other, but we're playing in this field and it's, it's in this little neighborhood, but we're playing against professional athletes and on this, on this field. And uh, a coach calls me and goes, Hey, go warm up at this time. The stands are just packed full. Like you can't, 
you're everybody standing around the fences, all the bleachers are done, and it's just a loud game the entire time. Like it's not quiet like in the US where they just cheer for yay or no. Like they're yeah. talking the entire time. And so I head out to the bullpen and I start warming up with my catcher and I start to throw and you know, getting the loud pops, which makes you feel good as a pitcher. So I'm like, all right, you know, I'm feeling pretty good right now. And all of a sudden I throw one and my catcher's eyes just get beaming big. And I'm like, what's going on? And he goes like that with his glove. And I was like, I look behind, like I start glancing around the stadium and there's nobody in the seats. And I'm like, where is everybody at? And I turn around and there they all are. They're just watching me warm up because they had never seen anybody with a limb difference get an opportunity to play sports um, where they were. And so I warm up, I get sent out to the mound. All of a sudden the stadium refills, you know, everybody, everybody's there again, just watching as I throw the last few warm up pitches and I get in, strike out the first guy. They start, you know, chatting, like knocking each other in the the elbow, (laughs) you know, then I strike out the second guy. Then I start ramping up a little bit. Then I strike out the strike out the side to end the game, and they rush the field. Like, <laughs> they rush the field. I'm like, what is going on? They start taking my hat and start trying to rip my jersey off. And I'm like, <laughs> like what in the world is going on? And my translator comes up to me. He's like, do you realize what you've done? I said, no, I, I hope I didn't offend anybody. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to take my clothes. He's like, he's like, these people have never seen someone who looks like you go out there and not only play, but to beat their pros, to beat their loves, you know? Yeah. And he's like, I want to tell you about this orphanage where all these kids are born with different uh, differences. and I want to see if I can talk to your coach into coming with you guys to this orphanage. I'm like, yeah, let me talk to coach. And I talked to him and he's like, yeah, absolutely. And we get there and there's all these kids with different differences, whether it's wheelchair or limb difference. And I got talking to uh, one of the heads of that orphanage. I said, why is there so many kids here? You know, what's going on? And she said, well, here it's seen as a curse if you have a difference. And if you're, if you're born different, you have the opportunity to either be shunned and cast out and not allowed to even, you know, shop in the grocery store or or, or do everything that a normal person would do, or you can hide them or give them up for adoption. She said, usually people choose adoption. And for me, it was like, wow, you know, how much of a blessing one to be born in the United States of America, where I have the opportunity to go out and compete with everyone else. Yeah. But for these kids, like they don't even get the opportunity to be a kid. And so what I would love to do is like go down to the Dominican Republic for two weeks, um, work with kids at the orphanage and other orphanages throughout the Dominican, um, coach them up and then scrimmage against all the different little league teams around and hopefully beat some, you know, I'm, I'm very competitive guy, hopefully beat some, (laughs) but just to earn that respect and to start trying to change that culture. And, and what's crazy is I thought that culture was only in the Dominican. What I've since learned is it's all over the world and that there's opportunities everywhere to help these kids to um, reach the sport that their country is known for and find the opportunity to go out and compete. And so that's, that's the goal, man, to get out there and serve as many kids with whatever breaths God's given me, you know, at this point, I know that 
I know that life's not permanent, you know, but eternal life is, you know, eternal yeah. life with Christ. And so um, that's what I'm living for. Uh, you know, I don't live about today's worldly issues or anything like that. It's to me, it's for God. And that's, that's it. Man, this is, this has been so cool to chat with you. And I think, I think it's a divine appointment for sure. Cause I, I've got connections that as you're talking, I'm just like, man, I've got to send him this guy's number. I got to, I got to connect him with this person or that person because I've been blessed to, to work with a lot of international organizations. I've been blessed to go on uh, missions trips to multiple countries. Uh, my, my sister and her husband, they actually go to Israel every year and they, they have a baseball a baseball ministry, I guess, if you want to call it that, I don't think they can actually mm-hmm. label it as that, but, right. um, basically they try to get, they try to get people from all religions to come on the same team and be unified and play baseball together. Um, but Absolutely. I mean, as far as baseball in different countries goes, hopefully, hopefully I can connect you with some cool people. And I'm sure you've got plenty of connections, um, yourself. I want to hear a little bit now about what you have coming up in the outdoors. Cause uh, I don't know if Illinois is the same as here, but we're about to kick off on a lot of different hunting seasons. Yeah. Yeah. So we're about to, so right now we're in squirrel season, which I mean, a lot of people don't really even look at that as a season. It's just, all right, time to go kill squirrels <laughs> um, and make some good squirrel dumplings. I don't know if you had squirrel dumplings, but squirrel dumplings is the, is the I haven't done dumplings. I actually my wife, that's like the one thing that she's just like, this is so weird that we're eating squirrel. Like she's got on board with duck and goose. She <laughs> loves pheasant, obviously loves like venison and elk and, and moose and all that. But the squirrel, for some reason, it weirds her out, man. <laughs> well, in, in her defense, a squirrel, I mean, and any hunter will tell you this, and I know you know this, a squirrel is a tree rat. Yeah. When you scan a squirrel, you've got a rat. I mean, a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> and so I understand, I understand your wife's hesitancy. I mean, um, I took, I went to this place in Colorado. It was, uh, on our, on our honeymoon. Cause we originally planned to go to Thailand for our honeymoon. We got married back in 2020, um, right before the shutdowns. And then all of a sudden all of the airports were shut down to go out of country travel, which honestly I didn't really want to travel out of country <laughs> Not at, that point, at, no. at that point. Um, but uh, we went to Colorado and we went to this place. It was called Down the Rabbit Hole in Colorado. And it was all wild game. It was a wild game restaurant, which was really, really cool. And so um, got the opportunity to experience different wild game. And they did this um, squirrel lettuce wrap, like Asian style squirrel. And I was like, I ah, just, you know, I've had squirrel. <laughs> this doesn't, I don't know how you guys did this. It was one of the best things I've ever put in my mouth. <laughs> we've but, been, we've been trying to experiment with more stuff. Um, you know, growing up, like we hunted, I, I hunted my whole life and my parents, I mean, they weren't like into hunting everything. They were mainly rifle deer hunters, like nine days a year, right. they were in the stand and that was about it. And so we, I mean, our, our venison backstraps were cut into medallions, fried on a pan until they were way past well done and we would dip them in ketchup and that's how we ate venison backstraps growing up and so i was not like (laughs) i had no experience with actually like well-cooked food you know it was just right that's meat we gotta eat it 
Um, and so now that we're getting into that stuff, I'm like, people send me recipes all the time and I'm like, yep, trying that, trying that, trying that. (laughs) Well, there's a, there's two guys who I follow. One's the meat eater, the meat eater.com has the best out. Like he had, uh, I don't usually do a lot with the deer stew meat, but this year I saw a recipe for, um, southern brunswick stew new brunswick stew by the deer hunter and i did that one and i did it with my homemade barbecue sauce because you use barbecue sauce in the recipe it was one of the best stews i ever had i was like okay we're gonna learn from this guy and so then i started doing some duck recipes like i did a uh a duck schnitzel which is like a duck with like a uh a pepper mushroom uh, garden pepper mushroom sauce that they put on top of the duck and they cook the duck to medium rare but it's also lightly fried and it was like heaven. I'm like, okay, this guy knows where it's at. <laughs> hey, dude, we've got we've got their cookbooks now, and I'm telling you, those recipes, we haven't found one that's bad, not a single no. one. No, it's it's unreal. It's unreal, and to see kind of like his cooking background, where he basically just taught himself through hunting, and yeah. it's because he's like, you know. I, I feel like that I'm wasting a lot of different parts of animals because I don't know what to do with them. So he's went and studied and seen like how every meat breaks down, how every organ, you know, does like he did. My little brother did some kind of heart off of his website, Deer Heart. Yep. And that was really good. And it's not deer something heart is so would... good. I, I've <laughs> never kept a deer heart in my life until I started watching their stuff and listening to their yeah. stuff. And I remember I, I was out in Colorado. My buddy had just shot a moose and we got it back to camp and we cooked up deer or moose heart and moose tongue. Unbelievable. Both of them were so good. I'm like, all right, from now on, I'm saving them every time. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it makes you think how much, like how much meat have we wasted growing up? Like whenever you watch this stuff, like (laughs) how how many times did I just throw the the stew meat from the deer away (laughs) just because you had to cut around so many different ligaments and everything to get to it, you know, and it's, it's crazy. It's all, I I think a lot of people don't realize it's all good to eat if it's done right. You know, there might be a few parts that you're like, no, I don't want to ever mess with that. But for the most part, if you just cook it right, if you take the time to prepare it and even, even like in the processing of it, I remember we were just up in Alaska, me and a couple of guys, and we were fishing. And uh, the guide that took us out fishing, he's like, hey, listen, now this is what I'm going to do. He's like, I'm going to fillet all these fish and I want you to like rinse them off and just make sure all the slime's gone. Well, I'm I'm very particular with the meat. Like when I when I handle meat, it's like clean. Like it doesn't touch a dirty surface. I don't leave any hair on it. Don't leave any slime on it. Don't leave any blood on it. And he just looked at me. He's like, dude, that's awesome. And I was like, what's awesome? He's like, you're take you're actually taking care of the meat. He's like, I, I'm telling you right now, out of all the people I've had on the boat, those fish are gonna taste better than any of the other fish those guys brought home because you took care of the meat right away. And I was like, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> and I will say it's been amazing. We just had some last night and it was phenomenal. Oh man. Now what, what kind of fish were you catching out there? Just trout or? No. So we caught, uh, four different types of salmon, um, lingcod, halibut, rockfish, and yellow eye. Oh man. Yeah. So a little bit of everything. And he was telling me about random stuff like yellow eye collars. He's like, that's the best thing you'll eat in the ocean. And it's like uh, the pectoral fins, 
-hmm. and then around like underneath the gill basically you cut like where it makes that v underneath you just take it's the collar of the fish and you take that off and you you cook that up and eat it and i was like i've never eaten the collar of a fish before and it was good (laughs) i mean it was really good yeah that's impressive that's cool that's cool I i love opportunities like that and that's what like when I was a kid, you know, we would catch the fish and we would fry it up that night. You know, we didn't, we didn't yeah. wait, you know, it was, um, sometimes you, you know, if you didn't get a good haul, then you'd wait, but most of the time we wouldn't wait. We just fried up that night and there's nothing better than fresh, fresh meat, fresh oh, food, man. which I, one of my buddies actually killed a deer, um, you know, butchered it, took the, took out the back strap. And cook the backstrap within, say, it probably took him two hours to get the good deer fully cleaned up. And he cooked he cooked it down within an hour of that. And he said it was some of the freshest, tasty. He said it was like, he's like, I don't even know how to describe it. He's like, but I'm going to try and do this every time. I'm like, well, just don't cook all your backstrap next time. You cooked way too much. <laughs> but, I mean, I just, he said it was one of the most tender um meats he ever did because it was just so fresh yeah yeah we've i mean i don't do this often but we've done it to where we're we're butchering a deer and you'll just shave like a little chunk of meat off and pop it in your mouth as you're as you're butchering totally raw and i don't recommend that to anybody but (laughs) i mean there's always there's always (laughs) the risk of you know coming down with something but but i mean i've never had any issues with it well, that's like, uh, so we, we had cattle when I was, when I was growing up and my dad sometimes with just hamburger would take like the raw hamburger from the cow that we had just done and just take it and put it on a cracker with some salt and pepper. And his mouth. Yeah. I mean, that was a little snack. I mean, we did that a few times growing up and I was like, you know, I never got sick, never got worms that I know of. Or anything like <laughs> that you know. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I do feel like, uh, there's a lot of that today, like where a lot of people just afraid of raw meat. And I don't, yeah. I don't feel like it's something you should be afraid of. I feel like. No, I mean, there's definite, like any predatory animals, you definitely have to look out for some of the stuff that they can carry. But for right. the most part, I don't, I don't care if my, you can walk my venison backstrap past the fire and slap it on my plate and I'm good. You know, exactly. Like, I'll eat, I'll eat venison anyway. It's cooked, but. Yeah, I think people are just kind of scared off by it when they don't always need to be. Exactly. Exactly. What, what is your what's your favorite outdoor activity? By far hunting. Uh, you know, I love duck hunting the most. Um, okay. I don't know why I love duck hunting the most other than <laughs> I just really enjoy it. Like I could sit in a duck blind, not see a duck and just be happy as a lark. You know, it's yeah. just that's just kind of me, but I also love the challenge because whereas with deer hunting, you know, it's more, uh, you know, with the gun, it's, it's more of stability because we still hunt with slug guns here. Yep. Um, but for, for duck hunting, I have to be able to, you know, move with it. So it's like a little bit more of a challenge. And I think that's why I like it more is just because of the, the challenge as the ducks fly in to not only balance the, the gun up on here, but to have enough strength to be able to hold through and get multiple shots off. And so, Oh yeah. Um, but I, I do. I love duck hunting. That's what, and my wife loves duck hunting and loves hunting too, which is, I've kind of lucked out on that one. Yeah, no um, kidding. But uh, uh, I remember she's like, 
she she goes to a duck club in Missouri with her dad growing up and they always they had their duck dogs and I've my dogs have always been family I've never been able to train them to be a duck dog only and so uh I remember I was like hey you want to go duck hunting with me she's like yeah and uh we get out there she's like well, where, where's, where's the duck dog? I said, I'm your duck dog. <laughs> you shoot him, I'll go get him. You married into it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I've always loved duck hunting, but I'll tell you one hunt that I want to do again, um, before my life's over is go black bear hunting in Wyoming. I did that when I was in seventh grade and, uh, had an amazing experience with my dad. My dad, uh, he does a father son hunt with each of his kids before they get into high school. Cause high school That's is cool. all about football. Like I said, you know, yeah. so, so you have football workouts all summer and everything else. And so he took me to Wyoming to go black bear hunting. And I went out with an old man. He was probably 86 at the time. And now he's probably 96 or whatever, waking up at four 30 in the morning to get all of his chores on the farm done before we we'd go out every morning. He just impressed me. Um, you know, his, his will to get up early, get everything done and then still go take you hunting. So we get up every morning, his wife would cook us an amazing breakfast from, um, either their cattle or their, you know, their, their hens out there, you know, they had everything. Uh, and then we'd go walk, um, up the mountain, up the trails to the different spots. And I remember the first day, uh, we're hunting and we don't see anything and so we go to check this last spot before the hours are up and I'm laying down there and they bait they do the they do different baiting and they were trying to bait um, some wolves in that had killed some cattle and so they hung some cattle from a, a tree branch and I'll never forget this image for the rest of my life as we're crawling up to like get a viewpoint of this you see two baby cubs swinging from the castle <laughs> on the tree branch just swinging back and forth <laughs> it was just one of the coolest things i ever seen but then all of a sudden I'm like oh crap there's two baby cubs here uh-huh. <laughs> like, the guy goes okay let me real quiet and we're just gonna back out of here <laughs> and so we did we went back and then the next day we came back to that same spot. Um, and the way it was is there, the spot kind of sits on a bluff and you have to crawl up this slope in order to get to a viewpoint of the spot. Now, whenever you get up that slope, then you're only about 20 yards from the spot, which, okay. you know, if you're in front of anything with, you know, that big, that can be uh, about as close as you want to be. Yeah. And so I'm crawling um, up this bluff and uh, all of a sudden the guide says, stop. I'm like, okay, what's going on? All of a sudden I just started hearing, oh, oh, oh. And he's like, and I look up and there's the biggest bear I've ever seen out in the wild. um, Other than when I went to Alaska with my parents for my brother's hunt. Um, And I'm just like, oh crap and I'm looking and I don't have a clear shot I can't you know I've, I've got to go closer to get get an opportunity to shot and so I start going up the slope and all of a sudden I see him come up he's still behind a lot of tree but he comes up and he's standing over top the bluff and he's looking right at me and I'm like 
oh god and so i wait until he turns and i start crawl again and then i snap the tree limb right in front of like right behind me he stood up and he looked at me and my guide's eyes got big and my dad's eyes got big and i was wondering if i crapped my pants (laughs) (laughs) and all of a sudden like it was just the biggest bear i've seen and he goes up and goes back down on all fours and he walks away and we never saw him again. And the guy looks at me and goes, that was Wyoming's record bear right there. That was oh Wyoming's Oh my record. goodness. He said, by far, that beats it by a lot. And I was like, there's one of those things like, you know, you've, you've had a uh, freeze up at one point in time on deer yeah. or something, you know, it's, it happens. But this thing, my entire body froze. And I was like to the point where the guy's like, okay, we got to go check the other spot. Like, hang on. <laughs> I yeah. got to gather myself here. And so then we went up to this other spot. And we have about 30 minutes till dark. I'm about, uh, I think, 175 yards from the bait barrel. And all of a sudden, with about 25 minutes left, these crows start just, you know, dispersing out of the woods. And the guide looks at me and goes, that's a good sign. I said, get ready. I said, okay. So I get ready. And all of a sudden this, uh, this black bear that probably stood about, I don't know, six, five, about, you know, not, not huge, but, but a, a good size bear um, starts making his way down the hill. And I've got about, by the time he gets down to the bait barrel, I've got about 10 minutes. And so I, I line up my shot and Boom, dropped him right on the spot. First time I ever shot this uh, this gun other than at home <laughs> and, and dropped it on the spot. And I just remember, one, I was very impatient. <laughs> so as soon as I shot him and I saw him drop, I take off sprinting down this slope. And then the guy's like, whoa, 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 we don't know he's down, whoa. <laughs> But uh, I remember just going up there and just feeling the heartbeat and that, the adrenaline and everything. I just wanted to get there right there, you know, and and uh, we get up there and I see the bear and it's a beautiful bear. It still it had like more of a dark brown coat than the than the black coat and um, just a good sized bear. And it was an amazing trip with my dad. And I'll tell you one of the funniest things about that type of hunting is uh, the patience is different than like if patience for a deer. Oh, yeah my guide would literally go and take off and sleep for, <laughs> for a little bit. And he'd tell us, he's like, all right, boys, you, you want to get a nap? Now's the time. He's like, I'll let you know when we got a bear coming. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, it was one of the coolest experiences just being out there in the mountains and watching the mountains wake up. I mean, I know what yep. it's like to watch the woods wake up. It was so cool to watch the mountains wake up and you see – mule deer and elk and different things just like come out and different than like a deer you know deer are super cautious as they move and these are just like moving like ah nobody's gonna mess with me (laughs) (laughs) and it was just it was just a really really cool experience that i would love to experience again but i also want to get out to maine and black bear hunt that's (laughs) the east coast has so many bears i didn't realize it but like new jersey even New Jersey of all places has loads of black bears. That's crazy. I didn't yeah. know that at all. Yeah, there's there was one that was a big. It was a it was like all over the news because this bear would stand up and I can't remember what its name was, but 
um, it would stand up and it would walk on its hind legs everywhere, like like a person. And was this I the think, one that broke into the guy's car? Possibly. I, I mean, this thing's been on the news for years, and I don't I don't remember if someone hit it with their car or somebody actually shot it. But anyways, it was a big deal. And then I was like looking into it, and New Jersey has one of the highest uh, bear populations per square mile. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know that. I know that uh, in Maine, they're like the the large, other than going up to Canada and Alaska, they're like the largest black bears in in uh, the country. Like there's bears are like 600 pounds, 700 pounds black Jeez. bears. Yeah, that's crazy. That's getting grizzly size almost. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, good Lord, that's that's big. I mean, the one, the one that I um, didn't get a shot at that, almost made me crap my pants the the guide said he's probably a 400 450 pound bear which was a big bear for wyoming (laughs) add another 50 percent onto that that's wild exactly that's crazy well man we are we're coming up on an hour and 10 minutes i want to i want to respect your time and i know i've got another podcast to get ready for and and some more stuff to do around the house but thanks a lot man for being on on the show. And I want to give you a chance to share with listeners where they can find you or they can connect with you on social media. Um, say they they're listening and they have a limb difference or, uh, their son or daughter does, how can they connect with you to try to become part of one of your camps? Absolutely. Absolutely. So to connect with me personally, you just go on any social media platform. Uh, it's Sam Coonert, S A M K U H N E R T. Um, just connect with me, message me. I'm not somebody who does, who ignores messages or anything like that. I feel like, um, God brings everybody to you for a reason. And you're, you at very least can listen to, to what they're bringing. Uh, if you're limb different, come to Nubability. Uh, it's an opportunity to learn and grow through support. It's an opportunity to, for your younger kids, it's an opportunity to learn for the first time from a limb different coach. I mean, you think about, um, a little league practice, the very first practice, that coach probably has both hands and both feet. So immediately every kid is on a level playing field. That's what we're trying to do for these kids. Give them a level playing field, give them the opportunity to go out there and compete and learn and grow to, to be better. So go to Nubability Athletics on, I think it's Nubability Athletics on Instagram, and then it's Nubability on everything else. Facebook's Nubability Athletics maybe. Uh, but then our website's www.nubability.org. Um, like I told Dan, my, our mission is to serve as many children as we can with whatever life God's given us. And, uh, we do that through sport because I feel like sport teaches you more life lessons than life. Yeah. Um, and then one last thing, what about your book? Cause I know you came oh, out with a book and you I did. crushed got it. One, got one here to, to send to you. Oh, awesome. <laughs> That'll be really sweet. Yeah. And so I I wrote this book and it took about two years to write. Um, You know, I I wanted I knew that God had more for my story uh, than just these camps. I knew that he could use this story to go out and serve others. And so I wrote Game Changer, How to Thrive When Life Doesn't Go According to Plan. Um, It's it's my life story, but there's also I give you steps on how to become a game changer in your everyday life and learn how you can use the platform that you have to make a godly impact. You know, so many people think that they have to be famous, that they have to have 
millions of followers that they have that they have to be professional athletes in order to make a difference and that's not true god can use everybody and that's what this book's about how god used a small town boy from 6500 people population to go out and change the change the country change other countries um to change lives uh, despite having such a small platform any platform can be used by god man that is so cool and i, I love just your mission uh your, your willingness and drive to serve other people. I'll, I'll make sure to put all of the links for your social media, for Novability, for your book, all of that in the, in the description of this podcast so people can easily click and go check your stuff out. Um, and then last but not least, here's your chance. I call this episode or this segment of the episode emptying the chamber. This is your chance to just share one last thing with the listeners before we hop off. Absolutely. You know, I just want to let you guys know that the only person who can determine what you're capable of is yourself and God. So stop listening to the outside influence. Stop listening to everything outside of your heart and your mind, because God's going to speak to your heart. He's going to speak to you and he's going to give you every opportunity to grow and become successful. And you just need to look at yourself as knowing that you have the tools. You know, when I was, when I was a kid, my dad bought a 1961 Massey Ferguson tractor. And during that time we had to sand it down and all he would let me use is sandpaper. And the, and the moral of that story is that you have everything that you need right now to get the job done. I ended up getting that job, that tractor sanded, selling it and buying my first pickup truck in high school. I didn't use an electric sander. I wanted to, but my dad wouldn't let me. You have the tools needed to complete every job. So don't feel like you need everything that others have. Don't compare your life to others because every time you compare yourself to someone else, you're going to fall short. Realize you have everything you need to get the job done. Man, that's awesome. Well, normally I add on to the emptying the chamber, but I, I don't know if I've got anything to add to that. That's good stuff. Uh, Sam, thanks again. I really appreciate it. And we'll be in touch and I'm going to, I'm going to be following your journey and see what all God's going to do through you in the coming years. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate it. And I look forward to changing some lives together. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that is going to wrap things up for us today. I hope you enjoyed that. I told you it was going to be a good episode, and I wasn't messing with you. That was so cool to hear about how he pushed through challenges and struggles and adversity and other people telling him what he can't do. And he just learned from his failure and drove harder and just kept up the grind. And he said, no, man, you can't tell me what my limitations are. That's up to me and God to decide. And that mindset is something that can translate to all different areas of life, whether it's your job, relationships, financial go goals. For me, my podcast, and um, if I stopped when people told me that I couldn't create another outdoor podcast, well, you guys wouldn't be hearing this great content and this great story of Sam and Nubability Outdoors, how he's changing kids' lives from all over the country and all over the world. So whatever you do moving forward, try to take some of Sam's mindset and implement that in your own life. On a different note, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, which a ton of you are, you guys are interacting and commenting and um, some of you have left reviews and ratings. If you haven't done that, that's the best way you can support the podcast. Leave me some feedback in your reviews. Be honest and tell me what you like, what you don't like. And that way I can grow and push myself harder to create good content for you all as well. We have stickers available. 
A ton of you have gone out and bought them. They're only three bucks. I'm hoping to take that money that I make from it and turn it into hats and t-shirts and other gear that people could use to rep the brand. A lot of people have been sending me pictures of my sticker on their truck or on a cooler or, you know, who knows what. And that has been awesome to see. I greatly appreciate it. And I wouldn't be anywhere if it wasn't for the support from my listeners and followers. So thank you for that. And until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.